Good morning. There we go. <laughs> so today's scripture readings from Matthew 7, um, verse 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? This has been reading God's Word. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you as we continue to worship the Lord together. What a blessing it was to have the children in here worshiping with us, wasn't it? I know some of you parents are like, oh, I'm not so sure if that was a blessing or not, but it, it really was a blessing to watch these children worship and for them to watch us worshiping the Lord. So I, I'm so grateful that we do Family Worship Sunday on the first Sunday of every month. I want to begin this morning by giving you all just a bit of a heads up. You might even say that this is a warning. Uh, if at any moment while I'm up here this morning, if I, my legs give out and I crumble to the ground, please do not be alarmed. I ran a half marathon yesterday, that's 13 miles, and that's about 10 more miles than I need to be running. So my legs feel a little bit like jello now, and if, if you notice them shaking, again, don't be alarmed, that's, that's normal for uh, how I'm feeling right now. I'm asking that the Lord would hold me upright, but if he should choose not to answer my request, be not afraid, I will be just fine. And I'm really glad that we're not doing a live streaming service because there is a chance that that could happen today. Uh, by the way, my name is David Duran and I am the church planting resident here at DOXA. Five months from now, Lord willing, my wife, three daughters, and myself will be moving to the south shore of Massachusetts to begin the work of planting a church. And Phil Naparella, the brave soul that he is, he will be making the move with us as well. Um, we have been so blessed to spend the last couple of years here at DOXA and learn and grow in what it means for us, for the Duran family, to be a church planting family. And this has been a time of, really has been of tremendous growth for us. And we're excited to get to New England and to begin putting into practice all that we've learned here from this body of believers. And all of you, by the way, all of you in your own way, you've shown us something about what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And for that, we want to say thank you. I've only got a few more sermons to be able to do this, so I want to make sure you guys know that we love you and are very grateful for all of you. For those of you who are supporting us through your prayers and through your financial giving, I also want to say thank you and that we are so grateful for you. Uh, just in the last, really, week, week or two weeks, we've seen God answer some very specific prayers in some pretty remarkable ways. Uh, we've, we've asked for prayer in specific areas in the, the newsletter that we send out each month, and God has answered some of those prayers in a really short period of time. And it has been really, really encouraging. I'll have more to say about that in the newsletter that I'll send out this week, so that's a little bit of a shameless plug. Uh, sign up for our newsletter if you're not receiving it, just so you can know how to pray for us, 
and um, so that we can keep, keep you connected with all that the Lord is doing. And I say all that to say, prayer makes a difference. And your prayers are making a difference. You've heard me say this many times, but God is the one who plants and establishes His church. And we just get the privilege and the joy of being a part of what He is already doing. And we're, we're so excited to see what He's going to do over the next few years, both in New England and also here at Doxa. I'm really encouraged at what the Lord is doing. And we look forward, uh, the Duran family and everyone who will be part of the church planning team in Massachusetts, we look forward to celebrating with our Doxa family for years and years to come. Well, before we look at our passage that Phil read for us, why don't I pray and ask for the Lord's help as we continue to seek Him together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as people who need to be renewed day by day. Our minds are prone to distraction. Our hearts are inclined to be satisfied with things that truly do not satisfy us. We ask collectively, as a church body, that you would restore us, O God. Let your face shine upon us that we might be saved. Let your presence fill this place that we might marvel at your beauty. We all have busy schedules and busy lives. And God, we pray that as we pause this morning and seek you together in worship, that you would fill us with your spirit. We need less of ourselves. And God, we need so much more of you. Father, we ask that you would make our Sunday morning gathering a place of sincere worship and authentic love. May our worship of you and our, our love for you and for each other be strangely attractive to those who don't know you. Your word tells us that everyone will know that we are Jesus' disciples by our love for one another. God, grow our love for you so that we can rightly, out of that, love one another. Together we pray specifically for the people of Ukraine and Russia. We ask that you would ease the suffering of the people. We ask that you would strengthen your church that is laboring on the front lines of this war. While our hearts are breaking as we're watching the news and we're angry and we're confused, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to you. May this truth bring peace to your people. In recent days especially, people across the globe have been reminded just how unstable the world is, and we ask, Lord, in your providence, that you would use the unpredictability of this world to draw people to yourself. For you're the one, God. You're the one who upholds the universe by your power. We praise you for I want to pray for my friend, Pastor Will Torres of Proclaim Church in Boynton Beach, Florida. Today is their first Sunday in a new church building. God, I want to ask a special blessing on them. May that building be a place where the Word of God is preached faithfully. May the Christians who are part of that church live as faithful witnesses to Christ. We pray, Lord, that you will draw people to that place and save their souls. As we open your word together, Lord, 
We pray that you would illuminate our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can see what's here. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Father, I pray that you would speak through me. It's not about what I want to say. It's about what you have already said in the book. Glorify your name in this place today, Lord. We pray that above all else. Glorify your name today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, George Mueller lived a pretty unique and pretty remarkable life. Born in 1805 in what is now Germany, much of Mueller's life was spent in England, where he was a pastor, he was an evangelist, and the director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol. He died in 1898 as a 92-year-old man, having lived a truly fruitful life. During his life, Mueller built, Mueller along with his team, they built five orphan homes, and they cared for more than 10,000 orphans. As an evangelist, Mueller traveled all around the world sharing the good news of Christ, even as the, the years started to add up. Listen to this. Between the ages of 70 and 87, he traveled to 42 countries preaching the gospel. And this wasn't, by the way, this wasn't hopping on a first-class flight, taking a nap, and waking up on the other side of the world. This was grueling and slow travel on boats, on horseback and carriages. This was difficult work. George Mueller is known for his work in spreading the gospel message and for caring for orphans, but really, above everything else, he's known for his unceasing devotion to prayer. We could easily spend the rest of our time just telling George Mueller stories and how God answered specific requests and prayers of Mueller. But let me just share a couple quick ones with you because these are amazing. I hope it will encourage you. Mueller, uh, he became convinced that he did not need to take a salary from the church he pastored or the orphanage that he ran. Instead, he would tell God what he needed and trust for God to provide. And for 68 years, that's exactly what God did. Some of the best stories of God's provision here have to do with the founding and the sustaining of the orphanages. The land that was acquired to, to build these orphanages, it was a miracle. The owner of, of the land of, of some of these properties, he said he was kept awake all night until he decided to sell the land to Mueller at a greatly reduced price. One of my favorite stories is the way that God used Mueller's prayers to provide specifically for the orphans. A girl who spent time at the orphanage tells the story of, of walking into the dining room for breakfast and seeing that there's no food there. Mueller began to pray, Dear Father, we thank you for what you are about to give us. A short time later, there was a knock at the door. It was the baker who was unable to sleep. Seems to be a connection here. He's unable to sleep because he was certain God wanted him to bake bread for the children. Mueller declared, children, not only do we have bread, but fresh bread. Almost immediately, there was a second knock at the door. And this time, it was the milkman. His milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage. 
and he offered milk to the children. In an address he gave later in his life, Mueller said, my universal remedy for every difficulty, for every trial, is prayer and faith. We hear stories about people like George Mueller, and even in the passage, of, we hear Jesus' words in the passage this morning, and we start to wonder, is it really that simple? Jesus, are you sure you didn't just misspeak there in verses 7 to 11 of Matthew 7? You don't really... You don't really mean that, do you? Is it really as simple as asking and receiving? The answer to that question, I think, is both yes and no. We're nearing the end of our time here in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as it stands now, we have four more weeks looking at this together. We'll take two weeks for Palm Sunday and Easter, and then we'll begin working through another book of the Bible. But one of my favorite things about Jesus' sermon here, I hope you've seen this as we've gone from chapters 5 through 7, one of my favorite things, and really this is especially obvious in our passage today, is much of what Jesus says is so incredibly simple. My three-year-old and my five-year-old can understand much of what Jesus is telling us here. But at the same time, There is so much depth to what Jesus is saying that the brightest theological minds, they debate and they wrestle about the implications for everything that Jesus is saying and for everything that he means in this sermon. Now, broadly speaking, the Sermon on the Mount is inviting all of us to something. It's inviting us to a new way of thinking. And even more than that, it's inviting us to a new way of of living. Jesus, as he's preaching this message to the crowds, he's, he's inviting people to life in his kingdom. He's inviting them and he's inviting all of us to life under his rule and life under his reign. And by the way, that invitation didn't expire when Jesus finished this sermon. It's still extended to all of us today. When, Jesus removes, or when God removes the scales from our eyes and so we can see our need for Jesus as Savior, and then we receive the sweet message of the gospel by faith, when this happens, when this miracle happens, we are no longer slaves of sin and under the dominion of this world. But instead, we are sons and daughters of righteousness. We become children of God and citizens of the kingdom when we trust in Jesus as Lord. As Jesus explained back in his sermon introduction, the Beatitudes of Matthew 5, life under the rule and reign of Jesus is the epitome of human flourishing. There is a significant existential undercurrent to everything that Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, we noted last week that in Matthew 7, Jesus begins to narrow the focus of his message towards our relationships. In verses 1 through 6, we saw last week that Jesus, he hones in on our relationships, um, he hones in our relationships with others and that judgmental nature that we're all susceptible to have. And then in verses 7 to 11, the focus is on the relationship between the children of God, 
and our Heavenly Father. It's been a couple minutes since we read it, so let's look at our passage again. And I want to echo what Dale said earlier. If you are here today and you do not have a Bible, please see me, see somebody else, make your way over there and grab one before you leave. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you as we're going through this. So if you don't have a Bible, make sure you get one before you leave. All right, let's read our passage again, Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one that seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In case you haven't caught on here, Jesus again is talking about prayer. Yes, he already talked about prayer in Matthew 6, the whole Lord's Prayer thing. We, we spent a few weeks looking at that and talking about that together. But here again, our Lord focuses. He's teaching on prayer. The centrality of prayer in the life of the Christian is on display all throughout the Bible. And if talking about prayer or even prayer itself annoys you, kind of bothers you a little bit, there's a good chance you fall into one of these four categories. First, you may not know what prayer is in the first place. You know that it's some religious term that people use, but other than that, you really have no idea what prayer is. And if that's you this morning, you are in the right place, my friend. And instead of giving you a definition of what prayer is that I think you'll likely forget anyway, I hope that you'll hang around here long enough so that this local body of believers can show you what prayer is. Keep coming to Sunday worship. Join a community group. Come early for prayer at 9 o'clock and let us show you what prayer is. Second, you may have an idea of what prayer is in your head, but you, you just don't actually know how to do it. Again, my appeal is the same. Hang around here for a few weeks and let this local body of believers, let Doxa Church show you how to pray. As the old Methodist minister Ian e. Bounds said, the most important lesson we can learn is how to pray. Next, if you find prayer insignificant or just a waste of time, you likely don't understand who it is that we Christians pray to. You may know the God of the Bible in a very general sense, but you obviously don't know Him very well. The more we begin to get a grasp of who God is, of who this God is that we pray to, the greater our desire becomes to be in His presence and to seek Him in prayer. As you begin to understand who it is that we're offering our prayers towards, you will agree, most certainly, with that Ian Bound statement that I just shared. Learning to pray is the most important lesson that we can learn. Lastly, if you see prayer as insignificant, 
you may just not be a Christian. And if that's the case, it makes perfectly good sense why you wouldn't see the need for prayer. And my hope for you is that God would open your eyes, you would see your need for Him, and the privilege that He offers to us to seek Him in prayer. Well, Jesus begins here in verse 7 by telling us to ask things of Him. And that's the first big thing I want to point out to you. It may seem obvious, but let's make sure we see it. Jesus is telling us to ask for things when we pray. Jesus is telling us to ask for things when we pray. Now, we know that prayer is certainly more than just asking for things. We give thanks when we pray. We, we offer our praise towards God when we pray. But a real aspect of our prayer lives should include us asking for specific things from God. And as we can see from Jesus' words, this is a good thing for us to do. Now, some of us, we might feel guilty or just plain wrong to ask for things from God. And I guess depending on what you're asking for, Guilt may be okay. If we're asking for things that are obviously sinful or wrong, we should feel guilty in asking for those things. But in most cases, I think if we feel guilty in asking God for things, it shows that we fundamentally have a misshapen view of who He is. There's a big difference between a historical God and a personal God. If you see God simply as an historical God, He probably seems distant. He likely feels cold and a little bit unapproachable. You know that He's out there somewhere. But He's probably too busy or He doesn't care to be bothered with your request. And this understanding is quite different from the the view that sees God as a personal God. In verse 11, at the bottom of our text, Jesus again refers to God as Father. We need to return to that again and again and again. God is our Father. You'll remember that the Lord's Prayer begins with Jesus addressing God as Father. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we too are able to speak to God as our Father. That's personal. That's intimate language. Now I know all of us, we have a different idea of what's what's meant. We we hear different things when we hear the word Father. I want to acknowledge that. Some of us had great fathers. Some of us had lousy fathers. Others of us have never met our earthly fathers. But our heavenly Father is a God who loves to be with His children. He loves to hear from His children. He even loves, hear this, He loves to have us ask for things of Him. He absolutely loves that. There are even things the Bible tells us that we don't have because we failed to ask for them. James tells us as much in his letter when he says, you do not have because you do not ask. Friends, here's a a key point for us, though. When Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, to knock in prayer, He doesn't have in mind us making one specific request or, or asking one time and then just going about our day. 
No, here Jesus' language, it's present tense imperatives that he gives us. These are um, exhortations to persistent prayer. So not only is Jesus telling us to ask, he's telling us to keep on asking. It's the second thing I want you to see. Jesus is telling us to keep asking in prayer. Jesus is telling us to keep asking in prayer. Church, it is persistent prayer that opens the hand of our Heavenly Father. Look again at verse 8 with me. Jesus says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Look at the boldness with which Jesus promises that prayer will be answered. He, he leaves no wiggle room here. He's telling us that prayer will be answered. And we need to pause here for a moment. and We need to address the elephant in the room when we hear a statement like that. I know some of you, you hear verse 8, and your immediate, your immediate thought, if you're honest, is that's not true. It's not true, Jesus. You're mistaken here. You've, you've, mis, you've misspoken. Because I've been asking. I've been seeking. I've been knocking. I've been praying for decades. You haven't answered me. I've been praying for healing for years. You haven't healed me. I've been praying for my unsaved family member ever since I got saved. You haven't saved them been praying that you would bless our family, maybe with, with children or means to help us grow. And Lord, you haven't, you haven't done that. I've been praying for months that the depression and the anxiety would lift. And Lord, you have not answered that. It has not lifted. You may mean well here, Lord, but what you're saying just isn't true. I want to acknowledge if that's you, if you feel that way, you are not alone. There are many people in this room, me included, who felt that way. And there are people throughout biblical and church history who felt that way. Think about Hannah in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She couldn't eat. Her eyes were filled with tears. It says her heart was sad and she begged, begged God to give her son. She was a woman who was well acquainted with suffering. In due time, in response to prayer, God, he did answer her. Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. What about Anna the prophetess in Luke chapter 2? Luke tells us that she spent decades and decades in the temple worshiping with prayer and fasting. She's waiting for the Messiah to come. Then one day, seemingly out of the blue, here comes Mary and Joseph with Jesus. How many of us who are members of Doxa Church, how many of us have been praying that God would give us a permanent space where we could gather together? Some of you have been praying that for years. From the very beginning, God, please give us a permanent space where we can just be together and gather and use this place as a, a center for worship. I know the, the guys on the setup team, they pray with tears in their eyes asking that God would allow them to never have to unload that trailer in the back again. 
The truth is that prayer is typically not our way. It's not what we go to. We trust our connections. We trust our analytical minds. We trust in our own power. Jesus invites us to a new way of thinking and living. He tells us to ask our Heavenly Father, and He tells us to keep asking. I've already hinted at this, but in verses 9 to 11, Jesus tells us that we can expect an answer. We can expect an answer when we ask. And even more than that, hear this, Jesus tells us that we can expect a good answer. Third point, Jesus tells us that we can expect a good answer. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Here Jesus gives us a classic argument from the lesser to the greater. No sane parent would give their child a stone if they asked for bread. Or a serpent if they ask for fish. Human parents, fathers and mothers, they do their best to meet their children's requests for food. And if that's, if that's true of us, how much more can we trust our Heavenly Father to give good things to those who ask? Hear that this morning, Christian. Hear that. God will give good things to us when we ask. Now, The last part of verse 11, I think, is key for us in understanding this passage. Back in my introduction, I asked the question, is it really that simple as asking and receiving? If you'll remember, my answer was yes and no. And here's why I answered that way. Because it depends on how you understand what Jesus means when he says good things. Jesus said that our Father in heaven will give good things to those who ask. And what he means by that is absolutely critical to your understanding of this passage and your understanding of who God is. If you take this to mean that God is going to give you exactly what you ask for in the exact way every single time, then you're misunderstanding what it means to ask and receive. Even the the good and the holy things and the things that everyone would recognize as good that we, that we ask for, they're not always going to be answered. And most of us, we know this from experience, but then we read something like this. We hear Jesus' words, and we think, maybe I'm just missing something. Maybe there's just something wrong with me in the way that I'm asking. Like, maybe I'm just not asking with enough faith. If only I had more faith, then God would answer my prayers. Or, Maybe if I just prayed longer, used more eloquent words, I I prayed more diligently, then God would answer me. Jesus, he invites us to persistent prayer, but our lack of faith or our shortness in prayer is not why he doesn't answer in the way we desire. Friends, God doesn't always give us what is good and right. But if we are children, if we are his children, He will always give us what's in our best interest. I'm going to say that again. 
God doesn't always give us what we think is good and right. But if we are His children, He will always give us what's in our best interest. The emphasis here is not that we get everything that we want, but that we get everything that we need. And that truth could set some of you free this morning. Our God can be trusted. He can be trusted to give good gifts. Gifts that sanctify us. Gifts that mature us. Gifts that draw us closer to Him. If you're a Christian, be reminded that God has already given you the most important and the best gift that He could ever give. He's given you Himself. And He's given you the Holy Spirit. And moreover, He will give the Holy Spirit to everyone who asks of Him. He'll give, he'll give you the Holy Spirit if you ask. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, notice very similar language here, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is the source of blessing in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's by the Holy Spirit's guidance and power that we're able to discern what the will of God is. And our will and our desires align with the will and desires of God equals answered prayer. Even if that means suffering, even if that means hardship, even if that means difficulty. I can't think of a better picture of this than when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives praying before his crucifixion. Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that's the place we want to be when we ask things of the Lord. Not my will, Lord. I'm asking for this, but not my will. Yours be done. That you might glorify your name in my life, whatever that means. Should that mean suffering? Should that mean difficulty? Should that mean loss? Should that mean cancer? You glorify your name in my life. Not my will, but yours, Lord. Understanding, church, that God will give good things to those who ask, even if they don't look like good things to us, because oftentimes they won't. But looking back five or 10 or 25 or 50 years, we can see that felt like a thorn there, but that was actually a gift. That trial there, it almost killed me, but it was actually a gift from the Lord. He used that in my life. He used that in my family's life to draw me closer to him, to draw us closer to him, to create in us a greater love and appreciation for who he is. The good things he gives often don't look good in the moment. But time will show us that that, was, that specific thing was most certainly a good gift. Friends, Jesus is telling us to persistently draw near to God the Father in prayer and to expect good things from Him. We approach the Father in the name of the Son, carried along by the Spirit. There's a, there's a closeness that we have with the Lord in prayer. I think of the picture in John 13 of John the Apostle uh, putting his head on Jesus' chest when they're taking the Passover meal. There's a, there's a closeness that we share with the triune God 
when we come to him in prayer. Well, there's a similar, in a similar way, there's a, an intimacy that we all get to share with the Lord and really with one another as well when we take communion each Sunday together. And just as an aside, I am so glad that we do this every Sunday. So thankful we get to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. But there's a temptation that this will become routine for us. I just get up, I go, I take the juice and the wafer and go on, on my way. And this, this meal should be anything but routine. This is a, a physical and a spiritual way in which the benefits of Christ's redemptive work are communicated to us. Let's remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it. He said, take, eat. This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. After supper, He took the cup. When He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, drink all of this, for this is the blood of My new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you shall drink, do it in remembrance of me. Although Jesus is not here with us in flesh this morning, he is very much here with us in spirit. And as you come this morning and you receive the flesh and the blood, be reminded of the redemption that you have in Christ. Be reminded that he is coming back for you. By faith, be spiritually nourished when you take this meal. Remember the union and the closeness that we have with Christ. This meal is open to everyone who is a professing follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian, please refrain from coming forward. Now let this be a time of reflection. Maybe even a time of prayer for you. Communion will be served at two stations here at the front. And as you feel led, come forward and you can receive the body and the blood. Let me pray and we're going to continue to worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can trust you. God, my prayer that for all of us this morning, our level of trust for you will increase. Or that we can trust that you do give good gifts to those who ask. You give good things to those who ask. And Lord, even when they don't look like good things, we trust you that they are. That they're for your glory. They're for our sanctification. They're to mature us and grow us. Lord, we praise you that you invite us to ask things of you. What a privilege that is. God, I pray that our lives would be a demonstration of the humble dependence and trust that we have in you. We love you, Lord. Bless the rest of our time together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.